Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I'm joined by my favorite gal pal Tara. Hey spooksters. Today we are doing another installment, I think it's four or five million of the O.J. Simpson series. We're hoping you're enjoying it at this point, and we're going to be talking about after the investigation happened and the funerals and then the very infamous car chase (laughs) that happened. But before we do that, if you want to hang out with us on social medias, our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tara and I are both on threads if you want to check that out. Everything is in the show notes. There's a link tree. It'll help you get to the destination in which you want to go. We also have a very lively, very fun Facebook group. It's where all the like-minded spooksters go. If you want to do that, it's Three Spook Girls Official, obviously on Facebook. And it's where we do Book of the Month Club. It's where we do we make announcements first. There's just a lot of things that we do in there. And it's where you can interact with me and Tara, like on a regular basis, if you'd like that. So definitely check that out out. If you are on TikTok, you should definitely check out Tara's TikTok. It's fabulous. It is spooky underscore sleuth. It's a lot of this kind of this content, but then plus more content. Definitely check it out. She does a fantastic job. So if you're not following her on there and you have TikTok, you should go do that right now. Just pause the audio, go do it, and then come back when you're done. Okay, now that you have done that, If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls for little as a dollar. You get a bonus episode every month. And the last couple months they have been video. So we have video content. And if you are all caught up on your three spooked girls and you want more content, we have what almost five years worth of stuff on there. Mm -hmm. So So definitely. Yeah, so definitely check that out over there. So much stuff. So if you're looking for more content, it's there. We have released some here on the main feed, but there is like hundreds, I swear, more over there. So much. Yeah. (laughs) So definitely check that out. Well, let's get into it. Today, again, we're talking about what OJ did after after his interview with the LAPD, the funeral, and then the very infamous car chase, which it was. (laughs) We use the (laughs) The, term chase very loosely. (laughs) It is. It's the, the, you know what it is? It's the police crawl. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It was the slowest one in history, and it's, it's been pretty crazy. 
So let's get right down to it. Okay, so once OJ left the LAPD, he couldn't return to his home on Rockingham because it was technically a crime scene. Because this is this is the 14th of or the 13th, 14th of June. The killings had happened on the 12th and they were discovered on the 13th. So OJ had to go somewhere else. So where do you go when you need help? You turn to your bestie. And of course, OJ Simpson's best friend at the time was Robert Kardashian, a.k.a. Bobby. I found out something new about the Kardashians. I'd always wondered how they like originally made their money. But apparently they made their money in a meatpacking company. So that's so random. I know. I was like, ooh. And so he Bobby didn't want it. So he ended up selling it for like $30 million or something in like the 80s. And then he became a lawyer. He and OJ had been friends for about 30 years. And which I don't think is right. Like someone said that and I was like, they're not that old. Like that means they were friends when they were teens. And that's not right. No. So, <laughs> let's say 20 years. Maybe like they were referring to Chris because obviously she's still alive. I don't know. But like, um, she, but she pretty much cut ties, it seems like after. And so did Bobby. Like, he yeah, was like kind of peace out, home skillet. So let's just say like 15, 20 years. And their ex-wives were best friends. As you remember, in March of 2000, or not 2000, in March of 1994, when OJ and Nicole were kind of in their on-again, off-again stage, they went on a vacation with Chris and Caitlyn Jenner to, to Mexico, and it was the, the Kardashians' four children. The Jenner children had not been born or at least were not on this va- particular vacation. Yeah. Live Laugh Larceny is a comedy podcast that takes real small-time petty crimes and presents them as overly dramatic short stories. Imagine a cheesy investigative discovery documentary with ominous music, cheesy reenactments, and immersive sound effects. But instead of covering heavy subjects like murder, it's about dumb criminals and the wild things they do. Some stories include an elderly brawl over a game of bingo, a woman who ruined a small child's birthday with feces, and a man who burned down his own home to avoid having his girlfriend move in. So if you need a break from the heavy, come get petty every Wednesday with hosts Amanda and Trevin as they share weekly dreadful dilemmas, killer facts, and petty crimes like you've never heard before. You can find Live Laugh Larceny, a true petty crime podcast, wherever you listen to shows and follow them on socials at Live Laugh Larceny Podcast. Fun, also fun thing as I, you know how like I've just always known her as Chris Jenner. Her mm-hmm. name is Kristen. That's weird. I had no idea what her name was because in this one, Mm-mm. like that's how he refers to her in in his book. And I was right. like, who the fuck is he talking about? And then I realized that it was Chris Jenner, and I was like, oh damn, mm-hmm. I should have known this, right? So OJ and his kids went to Encino to stay at Robert Kardashian's house. And in the drama series, like, and I'll mention this later, basically, Bobby Kardashian is like, no, OJ, not in Kimmy's room. But there's like some debate that it was actually Chloe's room that he was staying in. So that like OJ was set up in the girls rooms. One was his and then one was his children. So Mm -hmm. like they were staying there. Howard Weitzman, who, if you remember from the previous episode, was OJ's lawyer. But because he allowed OJ to speak to the police without representation. 
Bobby Kardashian and Skip, who is his like kind of business manager slash entertainment lawyer, mm-hmm. was like, "You need to get the fuck away from Howard Weitzman." Like, is it the f- who lets your client talk to the police without? Because all he was like is Literally. just give me the recordings. He was like, "Just give me the recordings." I was like, "That's not substantial." Because like OJ could like say sh- he could have fucking confessed. Mm-hmm. As a, the defense side of it, it's not a good tactic. So they convince him to hire Robert Shapiro because Robert Shapiro is kind of like the defense attorney to the stars. He actually is the one who negotiated the return from Israel for Eric Menendez. Mm, So mm -hmm. like it was a big deal that like, you know, he was kind of this. But you should know that Robert or that Robert Shapiro is known as the plea lawyer. Like he will get you a plea bargain for sure. Mm hmm. And we'll talk about the process of assembling the dream team in the next episode. But just know that at this point in time, Robert Shapiro is the head of the defense. And he also encourages at this point that Bobby Kardashian get back his, because he was a lawyer and he actually became a lawyer and then did nothing with it. And he was working for like hot tunes or something at the time of the murders. Basically it was like, when you would go into movie theaters and there was like music playing. Mm, yeah. That was his, that was the company. So it's like a, it's a thing. And according to the book, if I did it, OJ writes that after he had his interview with the investigators, he went back to like Bobby's house and he sat down with six, six year old Justin and nine year old Sydney and told them about their mother passing. And Sydney, I guess, just said to him, like, oh, I know, mommy's in heaven. So he thought that, like, the Browns were going to wait for him to say, but they didn't. They had told the kids where, I don't think they were like, your mom was murdered, but I think they were just kind of, she's gone to a better place. Right. I was going to say probably exactly what she said and just that mom went to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. OJ stated that he didn't think that they fully understood what was going on. Oh, no, they're little kids. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. In his book, he suggests that the mo- the, in those moments where he's, like, dealing with this, with telling the kids and the way that they're acting, they just don't get it. Like, OJ contemplated suicide because he couldn't just deal with the fact that he had lost Nicole. And this is, like, one of those, like, really hard moments for me because it's kind of, like, in the book, it feels very overcompensating. Mm-hmm. OJ was like, I got to get my kids. I got to take care of my kids. Everything is about my kids. Like when he's arrested, he talks about how he needs to get home to his kids. But then it's like at the same time, like I get that humans are complex, but like he's also talking about killing himself so his kids would be without parents. Yeah. And for me, that would kind of signify guilt. Mm hmm. So we now move into June 5th or June 15th, I should say. And this is just a few days after the slayings. Nicole's wake is held, which I was like, that's so that's such a fast turnaround. So fast, especially because it's like it's a murder scene, whether they believe it's OJ or not at that point. It's like it makes me wonder if the autopsies and stuff were rushed, maybe. Well, I was going to talk about this in a later episode, but Sorry. I will say here. there. No, no, it's totally fine. This is appropriate right here. In a documentary I saw where it's Tom Lang talking about like this, mm-hmm. apparently 
they had the criminologist on site at the scene and he took a bunch of samples. And those are the samples that were used throughout the trial because mm-hmm. once the bodies made it to the coroner's office, there wasn't a criminologist on staff that was on duty at the time. Yeah. And the assistant to the like coroner mm. washed the bodies. Why? To prepare them for their autopsy slash burial. I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand like that protocol, but that just seems like it just seems weird to do it so early. Like, I think it was a mis- it was totally a mistake. Like, yeah. I don't think it was meant to happen then, but they were like, shit, this well, shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And it's like once it's happened, like they can't undo it. Right. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's all of that. So, the- yeah, that's a problem for sure. So I think that's kind of why they were able to hold services so soon is because the bodies were were basically ready for burial. They had a wake for her and I can't think of, they had an open Mm. casket wake, which to me must have been traumatizing because there's like, I remember when my, when my mom passed Mm -hmm. and she had had the trach in, we had to tie a scarf around her neck. You know, we had to tie a scarf around her neck because of the hole that the trach left. Yeah, no, for sure. When we were researching this, it just made me think of, so one of my cousins passed away when I was in high school. He was in a very bad car accident. And it was the same thing. Like, they did a lot of, like, reconstruction and stuff because there was Mm. an open casket with that as well. And it's just like, that's, I don't know. I get it because it's like that gives closure to the family. But for me... Personally, it was just like extra traumatizing. I don't know if that's like if you had those feelings as well, you know, or if it was more like just I don't know. I mean, I think also like with my mom who had the trach. Yeah, that was a little traumatizing because it was like to see her laid to rest like imperfect. Yeah. But like with my dad and my biological mom, it was a little different because they didn't have any kind of like external Mm-hmm. issues so my dad like they, they did a really great job on my dad he just looked like he was sleeping and that kind of mm-hmm. like traumatized my nephew a bit sure yeah because like because how old was he let's see in 2017 how many years ago was that pretty young he was like a lot okay oh, he was a, he was like 10 yeah he was 10 because he was born in 2007 yeah and but like They had already gone through one death, and I think it was kind of like at this point, it was like they felt, you know, they were a little older. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it traumatized me a bit because he looked like my dad. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and like, on the flip side of that, like, it was the same thing when my great-grandpa died. We also had an open casket, and I was definitely in middle school. So I was like their age. So even though, like, he was fine and, you know, like your dad, like, looked like he was sleeping, it's still like... Mm. A lot. <laughs> yeah. We did like a like a viewing and then once the service started, we closed the caskets because mm-hmm. I that would have been hard for me. Yeah. When my mom, my biological mom passed away, like her best friend was like, I just want to like hold her hand. And I was like, you can. And, and so like I had to do it first so that mm. she could see that it was okay. But yeah, it was. Anyway, let's. <laughs> Trauma dumping. Stop talking about my traumatic scars. <laughs> So, yeah, so the viewing was a private family one, and in the docu- in the FX, like, docu-series, or the 
drama series, like there's this scene where like OJ gets out of the limo and he walks in and it's very dramatic and it didn't really unfold like that. It unfolded at the funeral kind of like that. But at the viewing, he came in and he saw Nicole and it was stated that like at this point in time, like before the viewings happened, OJ had a phone consultation with with his psychiatrist and he got prescribed meds, sleeping pills, anti-anxiety pills and medications for depression. And the doctor was like, this way you won't bottom out. You can be there for your kids, you know, all of that stuff. But Robert Kardashian kind of said that he was a little bit like out of it, like he was heavily medicated. In his book, he does state that he only took the recommended amount. I don't know if I believe that. But whatever. But because he ended up saying that he felt like he was like overtaken by the meds. Mm -hmm. When they were at the viewing, the family gave him time to say goodbye to Nicole by himself. So they left him alone. But her mom, Judy, would eventually go back in to talk with him. And she asked him point blank, OJ, did you do this? And he was like, no, I loved her. I couldn't have done this to her. You know, that was like, I'm kind of like paraphrasing, but he definitely was, you know, leaning into it that he hadn't done it. And, you know, I don't know whether she believed him or not, because like her sister, Denise, like literally was like screaming on the phone when they called the Browns was like, Mm -hmm. he killed her. Yeah, it was very mixed of how they felt. She would give an interview saying that she had asked that and that she kind of believed him, Judy did. But when they did the civil trial, she kind of left that part out that he said no. And then it was kind of like a gotcha moment by the attorneys. Mm -hmm. On the day of the actual funeral, which was June 16th, it was held at St. Martin's, St. Martin of Tours Catholic Church on Sunset Boulevard in Brentwood. More than 200 people would come, and OJ obviously came to that. Mm -hmm. Because of their celebrity status, there were media helicopters swarming over the service and to the burial. Fun fact, Robert Shapiro came to Nicole's funeral. Mm, Interesting. It is a very interesting moment that you would bring your defense attorney to the funeral of the ex-wife that you are being hinted at this point of murdering. Yeah. And to enrage you more, Robert Shapiro released a statement saying that he said, Mrs. Brown told me, please take care of him, meaning Simpson. Their children need their father. I don't fucking believe that for a second. No. So Nicole had a beautiful service and she was buried closer to her parents in Orange County. All in all, I think it was a beautiful moment in, like, remembering Nicole that OJ just kind of, like, overshadowed. Mm-hmm. But to play devil's advocate, which I don't ever want to do in this case, but I'm just going to say it on this one particular instance. Mm-hmm. If OJ hadn't shown up. That would have been worse. It would have been an immediate, oh, he did it. And the yeah. reason he's not coming is that he did it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think it's really interesting that he brought his lawyer. Or maybe knowing Robert Shapiro, he just wanted to come himself. Oh, yeah. Ron Goldman, his funeral was the same day as Nicole's, so June 16th. Honestly, this part, like this, I put this in here. On June 16th of 
2019, Mm -hmm. so 25 years after the killings, O.J. Simpson joined Twitter and let the world know that he was tired of people talking crap about him without accountability and that he was going to set that BS straight. Cool, man. Cool story. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) On the 25th anniversary of your ex-wife's her burial. You're super classy. Mm-hmm. So Ron's funeral was held at the West Village Chapel. About 400 people came, so friends and relatives. A lot of them were in their 20s and were, like, friends of his. And Kim Goldman ended up giving, you know, a eulogy. It says that she, you know, she wept through it. And she said, I don't know if I ever told you how proud I am of the man you became. And she would also say, not in my worst nightmare did I imagine that I would be here in front of our family and friends saying how much I miss you. Then he would be laid to rest at Price Brothers Valley Oaks Memorial Park. I just, it was, it's so sad because of the fact that like these two people were young and their lives were cut short and these families had to grieve, but it was going to be very overshadowed. Mm Mm-hmm. Robert Shapiro, to not be outdone again, definitely gave a statement about because there was the possibility of exhumations because of the whole like how fast the funerals happened. But he's like, because of the dramatic effect of the, on the family, I have decided not to encroach upon the family with the subject during this period of grief. You're going to learn one thing about Robert Shapiro is that he is a press whore. Mm-hmm. 100%. Even when he shouldn't, he gives press conferences. We'll find that out when we talk about the dream team and everything like that. After the funeral, OJ returned back to Bobby Kardashian's house in Encino. And according to Bobby, he grew very depressed. The next day, on June 17th, an arrest warrant was issued with the charges of first-degree murder for Ron and Nicole. Tom Lang and Philip Van Adder would call Robert Shapiro to arrange the surrender of O.J. Simpson. They called him at 8.30 in the morning. Bob Shapiro gives this big fucking speech about how you can depend on me. I've done this so many times. He's going to bring up the Menendez thing so many times. I arranged for the return of Eric Menendez from Israel. Like this whole big thing. Mm -hmm. He's so he pontificates so fucking much. Just so that everyone knows. And he assured them that the time that they gave him at 11 a.m. that he would have O.J. there. But he doesn't even arrive to Robert Kardashian's house until 930. So that's like a whole hour gone, which means he has an hour and a half to do all of this work. In the docudrama, it's like, you know, John Travolta as Robert Shapiro was like, we have a lot of work to do in a very short time. So basically what ends up happening is Robert Shapiro gets doctors to come out, both like medical doctors and psychiatrists to come out to, you know, do a full workup on OJ because they're stacking their defense. And this is taking some time. Bobby Kardashian says that OJ is lethargic because he's he's like barely moving because he's, you know, so heavily medicated. In the docuseries, he's literally in bed with Paula at that point. Mm hmm. And they get him up and out. And it's the process that, you know, Shapiro had set up was taking a lot longer than they thought. OJ needed frequent breaks. He just couldn't, you know, sit with the doctors and do all this stuff for an hour and a half. 
So according to most timelines, after the doctors finished, OJ went back up to his room. And this is where he writes the three infamous letters that he seals and hands to Bobby and tells him to like open after afterwards. And Kardashian is like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, what do you mean after? In OJ's book, he says that he writes the letters and that he's getting ready to go in with Robert Shapiro. And he just looks at Ace because AC walks in the door and is like, what's going on? And they're like, let's go. And they just walk out the front door and get in the in the Bronco. Because the police were coming to get OJ because they were fucking done. Lang and Van Adder were like, fuck this shit, Shapiro. Your word means shit to us right now. We're coming to get him. And the cops were like at the gate, essentially. The story that we all know is that AC rolls up, OJ sneaks out, and then they can't find him. In his book, he talks about the fact that he just wanted to see Nicole. So they tried to drive by Bundy, but then there was all these cops. And obviously, OJ knows that the police are going to be looking for him because of the fact that like he's technically now a fugitive because he left. And then they decide to drive to Nicole to her burial site, which was like over 80 miles away. So that was that's a fun moment. And, you know, they they can't find them. There were press conferences being held. The district attorney got on there and were like, hello, if you see OJ. And yeah, the district attorney, Gil Gassetti, literally was like, if you are helping OJ Simpson, you are a fugitive and you will be prosecuted. It wouldn't be until much later in the day that they get kind of sight of him. Basically, a couple were, they had been like watching the news and everything like that. They had described the Bronco. They had given the license plate number out and they had decided they were going to go camping or they had, they were watching TV until they were leaving to go camping. And as they were driving along, they were talking about it, like how crazy it is. Like they were like, OJ's probably in Mexico, blah, blah, blah. And they were looking on the other side because the other side of the freeway was headed towards Mexico. But then all of a sudden, the girl looks in her rear view, like the side mirror, and she sees the Bronco. And they say when like they pull up, AC was like glared threatening at them. So then they pulled over to a call box. If you don't know what a call box is, it's those little things on the side of the road that says call box. And they, you can call the police from them. I don't know if they get used much today because people have cell phones, but they're there. Yeah. <laughs> they were on I-5 heading north at this point. So they let the police know at one point in time, the police, the traffic had actually stopped. The police had gotten out of the car and had surrounded him with guns. But AC went like literally crazy. He was like smacking the steering wheel and the door with his hand. And he was like, get back. He has a gun. And they could see in the back seat that OJ is sitting with a gun to his head. So at this point, they're like, you know, we can't really fucking do anything. Like, we can't do anything. So it kind of becomes this interesting, like, really slow chase. And here's the, the interesting thing. When I'm listening to this book, it's called The Run for His Life, The People vs. OJ, which is what the drama docuseries mm-hmm. was made from. It's by Jeffrey Tobin. When This is happening. The like national news organizations who are reporting on this, they don't know the topography of LA. So they're just guessing where OJ is going. So they're actually sensationalizing OJ is like running 
Mm-hmm. But OJ was literally driving back to his house. And so all the local news people were like, oh, he's headed back to Brantwood mm-hmm. because they know where he's going. But like, I'm terrible at geography. So even if I was like looking and I knew, I'd be like, I have no clue where that is. Mm-hmm. So he was going there. They clear the freeway because they're like, fuck this shit. News helicopters are literally following them around which is why we have all the aerial shots that we do. And they actually decided to work together so that their helicopters wouldn't run out of gas. So it would be like some would be up and they just all said, okay, we'll all share the footage. So I was like, ah, look at them working together. <laughs> Collaborating. Mm-hmm. At 5.51, so like hours later, OJ called 911. And this is where they trace it to the Santa Ana freeway. And, you know, they, they did. Both AC and OJ spoke to police and law enforcement over the phone several times. And the chase, it did take a long time because, like, by the time they got back, it was, like, late in the evening. It was, like, 7-something. Or it was almost 8. So it was, like, 7.45, 7.50 when they got back. It was also noted that people were watching on the freeways Because of the fact that it was being televised, this chase, local people knew where they were going. So they would show up with signs that said, like, go OJ or free OJ. And they were kind of cheering him on as they were going. It was also stated in OJ's book that he had planned to kill himself. But when he heard Gil Garcetti on the radio talking about him and it made him mad, he decided to, like, not kill himself because he needed to set the record straight. Interesting. While OJ is on the run, Robert Shapiro holds a press conference because, you know, that's his hobby. Mm -hmm. And he talks about OJ in the state of mind. It's really interesting because, like, there's something that Shapiro does, which I think is weird, is that he, when asked, like, how was OJ's state of mind? Or did you talk to OJ? He basically said that OJ thanked him for all the work he had done. He'd been employed for like 48 hours. And then his big move was to have Bobby Kardashian read the suicide note. Mm. And this, this suicide note, it's really weird. It's something. Yeah, it goes, to whom may it concern? First... Everyone understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. I loved her, always have, always will. We had our problems, and it's because I loved her so much. Recently, we came to the understanding that for now, we were not right for each other, at least for now. Despite our love, we were different, and that's why we mutually agreed to go our separate ways. It was tough splitting for the second time, but we both knew it was for the best. Inside, I have no doubts that in the future, we would be close friends or more. Unlike what has been written in the press, Nicole and I had a great relationship for most of our lives together. Like all long-term relationships, we had a few ups and downs, and I took the heat for the New Year's 1989 because that's what I was supposed to do. I did not plead no contest for any other reason but to protect our privacy and was advised it would end the press hype, which it kind of did. So he wasn't totally wrong. I don't want to belabor knocking the press. Okay, first and foremost, I want to say this. It was stated later that news outlets actually edited his letter. 
Oh, really? That if you see the written copy, it's not this nice. Or that when Robert Kardashian read it out loud, he edited it Mm. to make OJ sound more literate than he was because there was the rumor that he was not literate. So Hmm. I don't want to belabor knocking the press, but I can't believe what's being said. Most of it is totally made up. I know you have a job, but as my last wish, please, please, please leave my children in peace. Their lives will be tough enough because the narcissist was like, oh, my death will bring havoc to my children. Mm -hmm. I want to send my love and thanks to all my friends. I'm sorry I can't name every one of you, especially AC man. Thanks for being in my life. The support and friendship I received from so many. Wayne Hughes, Lewis Marks, Frank Olson, Mark Packer, Bender, Bobby Kardashian. I wish we had spent more time together in recent years. My golfing buddies, Haas, Alan Austin, Mike, Craig, Bender, Weiler, Sandy, Jay, Donnie. Thanks for the fun. All my teammates over the years, Reggie, you were the soul of my pro career. Ahmad, I never stopped being proud of you. Marcus, you've got a great lady in Catherine. Don't mess it up. Fun fact, Marcus was having an affair with Nicole. So. I think this was like OJ's way of being like, bitch, I knew. Mm -hmm. Stop fucking around. Bobby Chandler, thanks for always being there. Skip and Kathy. Skip was his attorney. Kathy was his assistant. I love you guys. Without you, I would have never made it through so far. Marguerite, thanks for the early years. We had some fun. Paula, what can I say? You're special. I'm sorry we're not going to have our chance. God brought you to me. I see now. As I leave you'll be in my thoughts. I think of my life and feel I've done most things right. What the outcome, people will look and point. I can take that. I can't subject my children to that. This way they can move on and go through their lives, please. If I've done anything worthwhile in my life, let my kids live in peace from the press. From you, the press is what you're saying. I've had a good life. I'm proud of how I lived. My mama taught me to do unto others, and I treated people how I wanted to be treated. I've always tried to be up and helpful, so why is this happening? I'm sorry for the Goldman family. I know how much it hurts. Nicole and I had a good life together. All the press talks about our rocky relationship was no more than what every long-term relationship experiences. All her friends will confirm that I have been a totally loving and understanding of what she's been going through. At times, I felt like a battered husband or boyfriend, but I loved her. Make that very clear to everyone. And I would take whatever it took to make it work. Don't feel sorry for me. I had a great life. Great friends. Please think of the real OJ and not this lost person. Thanks for making my life special. I hope I helped yours. Peace and love, OJ. And in the fucking O, the fucker drew a happy face. Bruh. Can we go back to the line where he goes, at times I felt like a battered husband and boyfriend? Yeah, that is so ingrained in my brain. Like, there is not anything more narcissistic. I'm sorry. You're the fucking, not saying Nicole was a perfect person. She was human. But it's like, you were the abuser. And there is fucking proof. Like, Jesus. If you are lucky enough to never have been in contact with a narcissist, this is a great example. Just saying. Yeah. It's like, he's being accused of fucking killing her. And he's like, 
Actually, I'm the victim. Then why weren't you the one calling the cops, OJ? So how did she magically get all of these marks and stuff on her? Interesting. Interesting. Well, because men don't call the cops. I mean, that was completely rhetorical. I, I don't buy a word he fucking says. Oh, I know. <laughs> my, my, I hope my tone conveyed I was being sarcastic. Because <laughs> I don't believe it either. No. Yeah. And I mean, and it was. Like, this whole thing, like, Nicole had complained and had made numerous police had come out but he was a celebrity yep every single 911 call she makes she says oj simpson you know who he is Mm -hmm. and they do and they do yeah and they did and they just brushed it under the rug because he was oj simpson he had the run he was a great football player he was a movie star he was all of these things and those are that's true he is all of those things Mm -hmm. but he is also a violent man And he's proven that time and time again in his life. Yep. If you don't believe that OJ killed Nicole and Ron, we're never going to change your mind about that. But like, Mm -hmm. he's been violent his whole life. He was in a gang in high school. He beat people up then. He talks about it. He brags about it. Then he did the the Vegas thing. So, I don't know. It's too coincidental. That's all. Yeah. Exactly. So OJ arrives back at, he actually goes to Rockingham and he's been talking to Vang or to Lang and Van Adder. And he's like, I just want to talk to my mama. And so he gets back to the house and he, they pull like basically AC, like to get to the house. It took so long because of the fact that there were so many people in the street and, you know, they start talking. This is where we start talking about the polarized It's basically like it was so polarized. The divide between who thought he was guilty and who thought he was innocent really came down to what ethnic group you belong to. It there's no other way of putting it. And people were like on both sides were there. They were, you know, there yelling to let him go, that he's innocent. And then people were there, you know, demanding that he be locked up. And it took forever to get into Rockingham and they get into Rockingham and they pull into the driveway and AC turns off the engine and it's kind of the standstill. Like nobody gets out. AC does get out, but then Mm -hmm. he sees a sniper like on a wall and he gets back in. He's yelling. They have a gun. They have a gun. And the LAPD had to be really careful because this is 1994 and 1992. They had the Rodney King riots. So, you know, the fact that OJ was a black man was was front and center in this case. Mm -hmm. And the way that the police interacted with him had to be different because of the fact that they were afraid that it would explode and be like the Rodney King riots again. Mm -hmm. So they were like, you can't be trigger happy. And AC's yelling, they have guns, they have guns. At one point, his son Jason comes out. Apparently, he had an estranged relationship with him off and on. And so he comes out and AC is like shoving him away, like, get back, get back. Eventually, AC gets like, they convince AC to get out and come inside. And when they do, they like basically arrest him. Mm -hmm. He was arrested and held on $250,000 with a bail. Yeah, because he was was driving OJ around. (laughs) Aiding and betting a fugitive. He committed a crime. And then OJ took time to get out. In the like the drama series, he gets out and they like someone draws a gun on him. 
I've kind of like heard from like more reliable sources like that didn't happen. But sure. basically, yeah. he's holding two pic like he's holding pictures of his family. He gets out. He goes inside Rockingham. And mind you, it takes them an hour to get him out of the car. So like they get back at eight. He doesn't get in. He doesn't get out until about 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Sorry. You know, so it's like it's dark at this point. They mm-hmm. told the police they told all of the helicopters they could have no lights. They were not allowed to shine their lights down because they did not want any, like, if something happened, because they were, like, OJ was like, I have a gun to my head. I'm going to kill myself. And what they didn't want is that to be captured on video. Oh my gosh, no. Because his kids would have seen that. Exactly. Yeah. I actually, like, you just said that, and I think, like, with all of the images of Nicole online, I Mm. really hope her kids have never Googled it. Yeah. So OJ gets out, he goes inside, he basically collapses into a police officer. He begins to apologize to all of the police officers there. I'm really, really sorry. They do, they arrest him and they take him in like an unmarked car away so that they can't see him. You know, OJ, he gets booked. There's a very infamous mugshot, which is doctored by the by Time magazine. They actually made the decision to do the contrast of the picture to make him look darker. Yeah, I don't to know. To make why him look more menacing. Like they made the whole ridiculous. picture look darker. Yeah. Which really kind of does feed into that whole this was a case of race. Because it's literally the first kind of proof of this is Time magazine mm-hmm. and what they do. And that's the thing, like, that's something to not deny. That is very apparent, and we'll obviously talk about this more when we get to the trial. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is there, and there are racist pieces of shit in this case. Mm-hmm. But. For sure. Yeah. So, OJ is, a, like, has to spend the weekend in jail, and he is arraigned on, I think it's the 21st, so Tuesday, and he doesn't look like OJ. They say that he looks like he's really, like, downtrodden. He, like, looks defeated. He, like, when they ask him for his plea, he basically, like, mumbles it. Mm -hmm. And the judge had to be like, what did you say? And he was like, not guilty. Mm -hmm. This is kind of where we're going to leave you guys today. Yes. Our next episode is probably going to be a hefty one because... We are talking about the trial. We're talking about the prosecution and the defense team. We're going to give you some background on all the players, all of that stuff. So, yeah, next one. I don't know. Next one might be a two-parter. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Just strap <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're on episode four. This is turning out to be our longest series. So. Yeah. Hopefully y'all are enjoying it. Yeah. And learning things. I'm learning mm-hmm. things. Like Oh, for sure. Same. I learned that her name is Kristen Jenner. (laughs) I love how you're like, I'm learning things and that's what you list. (laughs) Just kidding. I know. I'm just trying to. I mean, it it is it is a big piece of information because I also did not know that was her name. (laughs) I love it. I I you know, this is one of those weird things where it's like you know how everyone says it's like like six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Mm-hmm. There's Fuck a lot. That. Six degrees. It's six of degrees of Chris Jenner. Jenner. Yeah. And I just like I'm enjoying learning about this. Like mm-hmm. I haven't consumed as many books on cases like this before. Yeah. 
I think I'm on what my third or fourth book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this deeper dive we're doing. So yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So with that, we're going to ha- go ahead and wrap up and we will be back on Thursday for some part of the trial. We don't Ooh, know what it'll be go, yet. Guys. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Okay, bye, guys. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.